0: Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter is one of the final books of the Bible. If you're starting from the back, you can go through Revelation and Jude, and then First, Second, and Third John, and then you'll end up at Second Peter. We looked a few weeks ago at the the beginning, the address of Peter to. Um, his audience, and this evening we're going to focus in on verses 3 and 4. But What I would like to do is to read from the beginning, verse 1, down through verse 4. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire thus far the reading of god's word Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this evening that you would teach us from your word, that you would show to us, O Lord, all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you have promised to do in our lives. Be with us, O Lord, for Christ's sake. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you wondered how you can get through the day or the week? You know, times when things just seem to stack up against you. When you don't seem to make right decisions, when temptations come up against you, and you wonder how you can break the cycle of difficulty and pain in your life. Well, there are many ways that we seek to do this. I was reminded of one of them this evening. It's interesting how God in his providence acts. was thinking about this text and introducing this text. And lo and behold, someone came and gave me the answer on my door. A group of people were handing things out. And apparently all that I need to do to be right in life is to rewire my thoughts. To stop being negative to understand that negativity is a sign of fear and worry and that habits can be changed and I can stop the poison right now just by doing that. That I can get control by stopping thinking about defeat. And they've even made it easy for me in a class that they're going to have in Negativity 101. And this is put out by the Succeed in Life Center. You'll be glad to know that they have mentioned the Bible once in this by saying that people from all faiths are welcome and there will be material presented that is, quote, Bible-based. Now, on one level, we can, I think, find this humorous. On another level, we can find it sad. And we wonder, what, what is this all about? But I think it's things like this that help us to realize that we need help and hope. Don't we? I mean, someone took the time to go down through my neighborhood to have printed up a very nice brochure and to spend a lot of time hanging these up on my door and another's doors because they realize there are a lot of people in Katy, Texas, not in Cairo, not in Istanbul, not in Islamabad, but in Katy, Texas that are frustrated and trying to break a cycle of fear and worry. The problem is, though, is that there is a design for breaking through that cycle of fear and worry that we have. And it is not thinking more positively. It's not having more energy in ourselves. It's not thinking that we can do it because we're good enough. The irony is, it's the exact opposite. It's knowing that we are not good enough. It's knowing that we are not capable and seeking the one who is able and who better to describe this for us than the one who failed in Technicolor in the Bible? There is perhaps no one that had a more spectacular fall and denial than Peter. And Peter understands what it's like to be afraid, Peter understands what it is like. To want to conquer the sin that besets us. To want to move past and through life's challenges. And so he describes for us where the answer is found here in verses 3 and 4. And the answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically first, in Jesus' power for us. And then secondly, in Jesus' promises to us. His power for us and his promise, promises, excuse me, to us. Well, let's begin then by looking here at verse 3 where Peter begins by saying, His divine power, that is, the divine power of Jesus our Lord from verse 2, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you see, this is important to us because we have to understand there is the here and the now. We live the Christian life today. We go to sleep, we wake up, we eat, we go to work. We long for redemption, we long for glory, we long to be with the Lord always. But for right now, the Lord has a place for us in the world. And this can lead to great indecision in the Christian life. As we look around us and we see perhaps others who are, who at least appear to be very committed Christians and committed to uh, the doctrines of the faith and committed to the truths of God's Word and God's Law, we can ask ourselves, can we really be that committed? Am I really ready to give all of this up? Am I really ready to put all the effort in to obeying God's Law? Am, am I really that committed? To the Savior. And then we can look in the other direction and we see those around us who care nothing for God and nothing for His law and they are whooping it up. And having all sorts of what appears to be fun. And all sorts of what appears to be freedom. And we have to ask ourselves another question which is, can I really give up what other people have? It seems so enticing. And the question that really needs to be answered is, where is my home? Is my home here or is my home with the Lord? And where we answer that question can drive us through our indecision. Because you see, Jesus Christ has given to us a very high standard. Look with me at verse 3. We are to live lives, Peter says, that are godly. He has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It is a godly life that we are called to live in Jesus Christ. Now, I think perhaps the best example of this in the Bible is found in the Sermon on the Mount, where there is a verse that is used and often misunderstood in Matthew 5, verse 20. Where Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think we fall prey to the temptation that says, well, we know the scribes and the Pharisees aren't very nice people. They really don't have it all together. They're really down at the low end of the totem pole of people who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So not that hard to exceed their righteousness. It's not like Jesus said, exceed the righteousness of the disciples, exceed the righteousness of uh, the saints, exceed the righteousness of the prophets. This is the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think there is a mentality we have that this is a piece of cake. When in reality, we have to understand that this was a very high standard that Jesus put in front of us. The scribes and the Pharisees were the gold standard for righteousness. In that day, while their hearts might have been far from the Lord, they meticulously understood, read and tried to follow God's law. When Jesus challenges us with a standard of righteousness that is above theirs, it is a very high standard. Because you see, their standard of righteousness was not sufficient to get them into God's good graces, was not sufficient to get them into heaven. Because you see, for all of their efforts, their hearts were wrong with God. They tried everything they could, but they were still lost. And so Jesus says to you and to me if we are to be with the Lord, our righteousness must be greater than theirs. What a standard to reach! It's, again, ironic here that Peter is the one that lays this out for us. For Peter, of course, was the one who was very bold, thinking he could do everything that his Lord had asked. You remember many incidents throughout the Gospels where Peter would say the equivalent of, you just tell us what to do, Lord, and we'll take care of it right now. And, of course, where did that get him? It came to where he fell short. And then where does Peter go from there? When we have such high hopes and we fall short, this challenge Jesus puts in front of you and me. And we dare not blunt the challenge to holy living that God gives to us. Then the question comes well, how do I have righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees? Do I read my Bible double time? Do I put it on audio when I'm asleep, hoping that more Bible gets into me even when I'm asleep? Do I schedule prayer time all throughout the day? Do I map out all of the good deeds that I need to do? How can I do this? And the answer, of course, comes in verse 3. That our only hope in this is in Jesus' divine power. Do you see this? Unlike every other philosophy and religion of the world, which basically says in one form or another, you need to do it. You can do it. Try harder. The biblical faith says that it is the divine power of Jesus Christ that is given to us that allows us to live lives of godliness. We must never forget those twin poles. Godliness is not an option. Words of grace that do not include godliness are hollow. Words of godliness that do not understand our own inability and Jesus' provision are vain. They go together. Jesus wants you to live a godly life. And to do so, he's provided for you. He doesn't lessen the standard. He doesn't say, well, I'll let you skate by. No, he keeps the standard very high, and then he himself meets it for you. This is different from any other vain philosophy or religion. It is a power that comes from Jesus Christ to us. The way that Peter describes it is very interesting. You may notice it in the odd language. His divine power has granted to us. We might, I think, speak of giving or it has been given to us. Why? Why is it granted? Well, this is an odd word in the Greek and it carries with it the sense of another very old word that maybe some of you know. Being bestowed on us. It is a royal provision, so to speak. The king's bestowment upon his subjects. This is something that Jesus has given to us in all of his power so that we will have all things that are necessary to life and godliness. Now think of what that means. First, what it means is Jesus has not left anything out. You don't need to worry. There's no missing ingredient that you need to find. Everything that you need for a life of godliness has been given to you in Christ. But there's another side to the coin. And that is it leaves us completely without excuse. There is no reason for us to say, well, we, we, we'd like to be godly. We'd, we'd like to serve the Lord. But, you know, it's hard. And, and my personality is of a certain sort. And, and I just can't do it. Peter says, yes, you can. All things for life and godliness have been given to you. There is nothing. There is nothing extra that you need to find out. No secret knowledge or formula. There is nothing extra that you need to do in order to be godly. No, everything that you need has been given to you in Christ. Now, how has it been given to us? Peter goes on. He says, all of these things have been given to us through the knowledge of him who called us. It's been given to us in our conversion. It's been given to us in the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ that comes to us from the Lord. That's what this knowledge is. It's an experiential kind of knowledge. A knowledge that comes down to us of who Jesus is and what he has done. There is no special transmission of power. There is no hierarchy within the church. There are not some who have this power and others who seek after it. Everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ by faith has access to this power. It's the same kind of power. That's with you men when you're on the road in the hotel rooms. To resist temptation. It's the same kind of power that's with you ladies. When people around you begin to gossip or harp. It's the same kind of power that's with you young people. When your friends around you say, well just take that. Nobody will miss it. It's the same kind of power that is available. In Jesus Christ. For you see. There is a reason why this power comes to us in Christ. It is a calling that comes because the Lord wants us. And he makes that very clear. It is the one who has called us. Past tense. A certainty. Not will call. Not might call. But it is a certainty that has occurred. And the glory that is Jesus... Will come to us. Do you see this? He has called us to his own glory and excellence. And so the glory of who Jesus is becomes ours through this great transaction. And the purpose that we were meant to have comes down to us. This word here for excellence is very interesting. It is a word within Greek that basically means an excellence for which something was created. What do I mean by that? I mean there are differing excellences. So perhaps the best example that was used by the ancients of this is with horses. So the the excellence of a race horse is speed. It's what it was bred for. It's what its purpose is, is to run like the wind. But the excellence of a plow horse is not speed, is it? strength and endurance. It's what it was bred for. It's what it was meant to be. And the greatest plow horse becomes the strongest. And the greatest racehorse becomes the fastest. And you see, for us as well, our excellence, what we were made for, was to receive divine power and to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what you were made for. To be a perfect worshipper of God. To be a perfect servant in the kingdom. To be like Jesus, the God-man. The servant, perfect in all of his obedience. This is the calling that we are called to. And the power comes from the Lord. Well, we not only have this power, but we secondly have Promises that comes to, come to us. We see this here in verse four. By which he has granted to us, that is, this glory and excellence is granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So when we ask ourselves, how does this power come to us? It's not a substance. You don't go out and get yourself some. It comes to us by being found in a living relationship with the living Christ. It is his glory and power that comes to us and reveals itself to us. Not in riddles or in challenges. But in the bare and simple promises of God. What a blessing that is. That the great power of the great triune God comes to us in promises that are easy to understand, that are to be held on to and to be grasped and to be known. What kind of promises are these? Well, Peter tells us that they're precious promises. That means that they're valuable, Right? We talk about precious gems, don't we? You wouldn't just scatter precious gems around the house. You would keep them close to you. You would want to know they were safe. They're worth holding on to. But there's another aspect to the preciousness of these promises, and that is that they are costly. We can never forget that the promises of God that come to us, that as the Scripture says, are all yea and amen in Jesus, come at the cost. Of the blood of Jesus Christ. These are very precious promises. But they are also, Peter says, very great promises. They are beyond anything that we would expect. They are able to answer all of our need. They are God's declaration to us that He intends to do something in our lives. These promises are that we will be changed. That we will be made anew. The power of God comes to us through Christ. Well, As we conclude here, what are these promises? I think Peter puts them in two distinct categories. There is a promise of glory and there is a promise of rescue. You see here the promise of glory that comes. They are great promises so that through them, that is through those promises you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, some have read this and been confused and think that Peter is talking about somehow we become gods, that we become little gods like the Lord himself. Well, of course, that's not what Peter means. It cuts against everything else that's in the scripture about how we are created beings, that we are finite, that only God is God. But it also does mean something. There is a divineness, if I can put it that way, to the redeemed believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because after all, acting on these promises of God leads to the results that God has for us, which is that we will be like Jesus Christ. We will be like Him in His righteousness, like Him in His obedience, like Him in His service. There is a real connection that we have to God through these promises. We are adopted into his family. We are found in Christ. And you see, that is a exceedingly precious promise, isn't it? It would have been great of the Lord simply to declare us not guilty. Simply to say, there is no condemnation but he doesn't stop there. He says, "You are to be welcomed into my family. You are to be like my son and I will fashion you more and more after my image and the true image of God." It's a promise of glory to come. And then finally we see that there is a promise of rescue, rescue from all that bears us down today. Here, The end of verse 4. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Does that bring a fresh cup of cold water to your soul? As you look out and you you see all the corruption that is out in the world. All of the things that are wrong. All of the evil and the wickedness that is around you. As you look and you see all the rebellion in the world. How God is not honored. How God is mocked. And then you don't even have to look out and to see all of your own sinful desires and temptations. And you long to be free from them. Does this verse give you comfort to know that the power of God and the promises of God are yours so that you will be rescued from all that bear you down. All that make you short. All that give you Pause. This is. Divine power at work. The Lord Jesus Christ. Is even now redeeming a people. For himself. It's a people who are called. To lives of godliness. Lives that are marked by a distinction. He's calling you now to that. He hasn't lowered the standard for you. But what he has done. He's given you power. He's given you his promises. He's given you of his very self. That is where true divine power is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our worth and our value is found in your sight. And not in our own endeavors. And not in our own Abilities, And we thank you, O oh Lord, that we can conquer all that surrounds us and tempts us, not simply by rewiring our thoughts, but by following after the Lord Jesus Christ, by seeking his will. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this week, that you would grant us blessing and opportunities to follow after you, to show the midst, in the midst of our lives your power, And our trust in your promises. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.